So Maddie's here with us today. Uh, she got on a, was it 26-hour flight? Yep. Well, it was 26 hours of traveling spread over multiple flights. Yeah, uh, to, to bring us six beers. So basically what we're saying is cheers to Maddie and also mix six fans up your game. That's right. <laughs> That's right. She is uh, work harder. She's punking all of you. Cause damn, that is some <laughs> dedication for six beers. Like, can't Uber eats that across an ocean. Like, Legally, I could bring in five liters. I brought in four point eight. Nice. What is a liter? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be a cultural exchange here on the mix six today, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. Uh, but cheers to friends from four lands bringing beer. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, where we have six conversations while rating six beers on a five-point system, and we occasionally have guests from far away land. Maddie, say hi to everyone. Hey-o. Hey-o. Maddie's back, and she's not terribly jet-lagged this time, so I did hopefully, it. yeah. I've slept. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll get a, a few more of her comments. Um, this is the pre-party. We don't have much, except we're all going to be at Gen Con. whole lot of us. A whole lot of us. Uh, RPPR and Mix 6 crew roll deep. Uh, we might have a banner. We, we occasionally march. <laughs> uh, but uh, we have many activities there. You can find on the Gen Con page. I'll also post a schedule of all my events on the Mix 6 uh, website before Gen Con uh, goes live. And um, that's pretty much it for news, I mean, though. we also promised to find some time before Gen Con to set aside and say, we are going to be at these bars and or restaurants at a time if you would like to drink yes. beer with us. We yes. will do that. We will be doing that. We would love to see people and meet you if we haven't met you, mm-hmm. namely me. I've not met many of you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that is it for the pre-party, though. We do have a uh, guest rating system this episode, though, <laughs> by Maddie herself. So, Maddie, uh, give us our five-point system for rating beer. Well, like, this is never gone badly for any of you, so, you know. No. no. <laughs> Prepare to be greeted with rose petals and love on Facebook. Yo. Uh, so, uh, the rating system uh, this week, I've decided, is uh, the fireworks that I saw on the 4th of July, because mm-hmm. this is my first time in America, first time for the 4th of July. Uh, so, at a one, we would have uh, spalas, <laughs> which are like sparklers, but misspelt on the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're they, pretty great. I'm sure they were quality. They were, they were, they were great. They uh, kind of fizzed more than sparked. Yeah. But, you know, it was... It they was... were 39 cents. Mm, <laughs> well spent. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was great, yeah. Um, probably wouldn't get them again. <laughs> uh, for a number two, we have essentially just dynamite. The, uh, the last firework we set off was something that, you know... The guy is selling it says, you didn't get this from me. Uh, kind of short fuse. Wow. The person that lit it ran. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad they did because it, it essentially just... Ex- Not to be mentioned that person because <laughs> yep. it was totally legal to buy that. that. person, I would want to say, that said the next day there was a, like a foot deep crater where they <laughs> set that off. Yeah. I'm fairly certain that was Tannerite. Yeah. Mixed with something else. It, like, yeah. It just exploded. We use it to blow up stumps. <laughs> also, whatever all you want, you can just buy it at the store. Because America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, all so, right. So Let's, it's a two. I'm not sad it happened, but maybe not again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, That's a good way to think about a two. A three is uh, bottle rockets. Yeah. Just everyone got in on that. That was just 
fun, like even if they fizzled out and didn't quite explode right, it was still just hilarious. Let me ask a question about bottle rockets. So before this event, Caleb showed me his terribly novel bottle rocket technique, which is not to use a bottle, but is instead to use the wrong end of a wiffle ball bat. How'd this go? It went great. Yeah? Did yeah. anybody else get in on it? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. You can aim them, right? Yeah. So far superior launch. You can hold a beer technique. in your other hand. It's yeah, great. exactly. Yeah. Wow. First, My bottles are occupied, sir, yeah. with beer. <laughs> yeah. The first bottle rocket I tried, I, I grabbed it from like the neck oh, as yeah. though I was drinking a beer because that's how you hold a bottle. Mm-hmm. And then I lit it and I went, oh, that's a bad decision. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No one explained to me how to do this properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's the American right. way. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so a four is uh, just, it was a fountain that we had, but it just went forever. Fountains like, are great. It was just, it just, it seemed like it was fizzing out, and then just a different color exploded, and it just went forever, and it was pretty. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. I put the, 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 um, the little micro-missile batteries mm. mm-hmm. that uh, in that fountain category, like the two, 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 yeah. two, that go yeah. on forever. I like those two, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. Uh, and a five, which was like the highlight of the night You're going to have to me. disagree with this one. <laughs> no, it was like, the highlight. Definitely, like, I am so glad I came to America to witness this. Uh, it was the one that nearly killed Caleb. <laughs> it was a mortar. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> That had been tied to a fence post, and then the, the from what I understand, the rope or the, the string that was tied loosened, and so instead of pointing straight up, it sort of bent at an angle towards us. A, a, no, a wildly gyrating angle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one launched towards a building, the other launched towards a field. Yeah, it was kind of a... Uh, 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 and the arc. last one came towards uh, all of us, and especially my head. Uh, so... Uh, everyone else's reaction was, oh no, and they like maybe put up their hands or filmed it. Like, man, I had a really good angle. Uh, And I hit the goddamn deck real hard, and everyone thought that was funny, even though it was a tactical roll. (laughs) A tactical roll. The optimal situation for that. But no. hard disagree on the five. But. Yeah. It, it was everything I've been led to believe American Fourth of July was. Yeah. So it was perfect. It right. Was just Reckless fantastic. human endangerment yeah. with blowy uppy things. Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay, so that's our rating system. We're going to take these fireworks. We're going to grab some beers and we'll be right back with dissecting our fun. So we've pretty much had to do multiple takes of this because Ross keeps giggling. <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, so, buddy, I can't wait to ask you, what are you about to drink from our, our glorious friends to the south in Australia? So Maddie kind of yep. introed all this by saying, I brought a bunch of beer. Some of it I really like and some of it I've never tried and I'm sure is bad. Uh, and so I pulled the short straw here uh, and I'll be trying from the Barassa Valley. That's right, Barassa? Yeah, Barassa. Where's Barassa, by the way? Uh, it is slightly north of Adelaide. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah. Uh, Barassa Valley Brewings, I can't believe it's not bacon, is the name of this beer. And it shouldn't be that hard to believe because bacon's not a liquid. So, <laughs> so the whole concern, like the whole joke with I can't believe not butter is that it looks like butter. It wasn't <laughs> a can, but we put, he poured it into a pint glass. They, as... they tell you to on the can. Yeah, yeah you want to make sure. <laughs> the, scent is, the scent is not good. I <laughs> <laughs> no, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
He's just trying Do to you hold need a on. trash can? Do we need to give him a trash can? <laughs> the back end of that beer <laughs> is one of the worst things I've ever tasted. Oh my god. That's a, that's the sparler of sparlers. It's King Sparler. <laughs> Does anybody else want to Fuck no. Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go. Sure. I have a At no I have a no liquid meat rule. At first you're going to be like, "Oh, it's not that bad." And then the back end hits and it's like, "Oh, they did try to put I'm really like what a, you'd call a liquid vegan. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there oh, it comes. Yeah, it's I coming on. Sorry. Yep, it's coming mm. on. There yeah, yeah, no, I gotta suffer too. Yeah, get in there, producer Ross, before we find a drain oh. for that. The back end oh, is. Oh, it just sits there. It's just oh. so bad. It. I am. This is what you smell like after you eat at a restaurant that has just cooked bacon in an open kitchen, and then at first it's like, oh, it tastes like beer. What happened? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah, uh, uh, it's just. Yeah, it's still there. <laughs> yep. it's still there. Ah. Uh. You know what though? I, yeah. I lift it over here, and I'm going to finish this son of a bitch. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <sighs> cool, great. Oh, God, it's still there. Uh, really fun. Really I got fun. a dollar on the table. You don't finish that. Really? I'm, put, I'm putting money on the table right now. All right. I'll this put another pot. dollar in. Holla. This is the pot. I'm about to make the most Hot money. Hot cash. Ever. Boom. My, my cash is in the other room. <laughs> um, okay, Caleb, what are we talking about? Oh, God. Can it compare? <laughs> Uh, God, yeah, you're just, it's still there. Yeah, you're, everyone yeah. at the table looks like they're yawning. <laughs> I they have water, thank it. God. <laughs> um, so, uh, in dissecting our fun, how we start every podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh shit! He wants that dollar. He wants that dollar. You have to hold it down. Oh my God! Oh, capitalist Spencer. <laughs> Capitalist Spencer. <laughs> Jesus, you're getting after today, aren't you? That dollar's your, you earned that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I will get you the dollar after the segment. We're Damn. cool. Damn. We're cool. That's your Patreon money at work right there. <sighs> well, uh, wow. What, what are we doing here? God, are you okay? No. no does not look okay. Um, anyway, we're... <laughs> the beer's gone. In dissecting a fun, we're going to talk about a game... Were you a rhino that climbs things? I don't. I don't know how to follow that. Ross, what's Rhino Hero? Uh, Rhino Hero is a game from Haba, uh, which is a German uh, game company that primarily makes games for children. But a uh, fan of the show uh, and supporter Jeremy Fish uh, was hanging out with. I was hanging out with him at Origins uh, a couple weeks ago, last month. And he recommended this game and said it's a great game to play. <laughs> I'm sorry, Spencer. No, my eyes were watering. It's totally <laughs> normal. It's hot out. Um, he recommended this is a great game to play while you're drinking. Uh, so I picked it up. It's only $10, mm, uh, like ages that. 5 to 99. And the, it's a card stacking game. You're building a tower of cards. Uh, and Rhino here is a tiny wooden figure that you have to move from one floor to the other, depending on what card you. So basically, you have wall cards, and then you have roof cards, um, and you just you know interlink them. Um, and you're trying to. Uh, so every player has a hand of five roof cards. Um, and certain roof cards have certain special attributes. Like one says, "Put Rhino Hero here." Others say. Uh, you know, go again, uh, or the next player skips a turn, or change the direction of play, yeah. or draw a card after you draw this, or put two cards down, two roof cards down. So um, it's it's a simple, yeah. It only takes five ten minutes to play, yeah, super quick um, play. But it's such a great sort of opener, uh, or sort of a, it's great as a bar or social drinking game, yeah. Too. It, a great filler too, like it's it's a definitely a fun filler, right? You've just yeah. finished like ter- terraforming Mars. You want to move into something a little lighter, but you're not sure what you're going to play next, so play Rhino Hero, yeah. I think. Um, super uh, easy. Yeah. 
it is. Um, yeah, the different cards have different. Like every every roof has a different pattern that you have to assemble the roof. Uh, all the wall cards are the same. They're just folded. They're pre-folded in half too. So uh, I quite enjoyed it. Um, but I think I mean it's interesting. Uh, it's sort of a part of a growing trend towards physical dexterity in yeah. uh, board games. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I. Th- yeah, I don't know. Um, like, there is a bit of strategy to it as well, because if you have cards that move the Rhino Hero, like the little like weighted figure, uh, if you play those early, like you can you know do it when the ta- uh, tower is more stable. But at the end, if yeah. the winning condition is like the person with the least cards. If you have the same amount of cards, the one with the most special cards wins. So, oh, cool. Uh, some cards have the like foil corners that the, you draw yeah. and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. So if you keep those for last, then you're going to have to move the rhino on a very tall tower, which you don't want to be doing. But if yeah. you have a couple of them in your hand, if it's a draw condition, uh, yeah, it's good for you. I like yeah. the Jenga style effect of the game, right? Yeah. Which mm. is like you're not just playing cards. I mean, imagine if you were playing Jenga, but you also got the opportunity to kind of like screw your neighbor by changing the order of play mm-hmm. or making their placement more difficult. Um, now take out wood blocks and insert cards and you've got rhino hero. Uh, I really, I'm with you, and I wonder if this just isn't a a function of exposure, that there actually has not been a great tidal wave of dexterity games to hit the market lately. It just feels like there have been, because I think I've gotten kind of interested in some dexterity games Mm -hmm. after Pitch Car, for example, and so I'm just noticing them more or looking for them more, but maybe it's also just that the market has shifted towards some dexterity games. I think the thing is that the board game sort of golden age has brought them more visibly because Hub has been around forever. Yeah. If you are a teacher, mm. they're in oh, all nice. sorts of educational supply stores. They're enormous. They have international distribution. Like they're they're a big company, and they do tons of another great game um, that Jeremy should try out if he hasn't. Is Animal Upon Animal, where you're doing the same thing with sort of wooden animal blocks, but like the snake is oddly shaped. Oh yeah. Uh, and cool. so it gets cool. sort of, uh, it's sort of like junk art, but simplified. Yeah. Um, and there's a ton of those games and they serve two purposes in my mind. The first one is teaching fine motor skills <laughs> <laughs> to children. Sounds awful. Yeah. Which I guess is important. Sure. The second one. Um, and I think this is far more significant <laughs> is that I don't think they're just fillers. I think they're closers. Oh. Um, so yeah. when we talk about fillers, that's both an opener and a closer, a light game to, you know, wet your palate before you start yeah. the nonsense of like a four hour Terraforming Mars game, right. which I won last night. Yes. <laughs> um, and then there's late after everyone's been drinking and can't process any more complex rules. And that's where those Haba games and those light dexterity game meant for pre-K kids <laughs> are actually super fun when you're all kind of blasted and trying to stack animals or cards or do a flicking game mm-hmm. or something like that. And also they're very fast when the when the evening's sort of winding down. Which I really like. Yeah. Yeah. And you and you don't want to say, well, we only played one game tonight, but right. at the same time, your brain's fried because you just played Scythe for five hours or yeah. something like that. Um so I think um the only thing our listeners should do is go steal board games from tiny children. They're weak. They can't fight you off. <laughs> That's right. And use them to facilitate your drinking. Um, <laughs> or I guess you could buy them. Nah. It's ten bucks, Caleb. But I mean, it's ten dollars. Stealing, or stealing or a preschooler's board game is zero. You bucks. have to find the preschooler. Like I mean, that, that <laughs> and that's creepy. Or steal it from your friendly neighborhood local producer. Okay, <laughs> uh, I only have one copy, so good luck. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 
Uh, also, the the one the the one thing I do want to mention, I kind of want to right now house rules for Dread, uh, a role playing game that uses a Jenga board or Jenga tower, okay. uh, and substitute with Rhino Hero. Uh, so in in Dread, you have to make pulls instead of rolling dice for actions, and then if the tower falls over, you die. So I kind of want to figure out a way to sort of simulate that with Rhino Hero. Oh, yeah, you just stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or move uh, the rhino. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which seems fucking impossible. <laughs> yeah, uh, it depends. Like, it also depends on how much of an asshole the other player is. Well, you could organize the cards into type, and yeah. then that would be the difficulty of. Oh, you can give yourself a difficulty rating. Caleb, yeah, yeah. you should try your hand at this game design thing. <laughs> I'm not too good at it. Motherfucking any. <laughs> oh yes, Caleb Stokes, uh, idiot, nominated a uh, game designer. Oh yeah, we didn't we didn't put that in the pre party. Red markets, <laughs> buy it now. Best game, motherfuckers. I, I still need a song in you case for not walking down that aisle. Well, We'll get it. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, get it. Right. We need a we need a mix six theme song. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Maddie. Yeah, mix six theme song. Um, okay, well that's Rhino Hero. Uh, definitely recommended if you're looking for uh, it'll. How many players? Two. Can you play two? Uh, it's up to like four or five. Okay, but can it can it play two? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Uh, if it's two, it's you you deal seven cards. Per oh play. yeah, definitely recommended for two. They players. also travel really well. Which yes, is, you know, tiny wooden tiny card. If you want to bring board games. Yeah, 26-hour flight away. Right, you know. <laughs> hypothetically. Yeah. Uh, definitely recommend on our, on our end, if you're looking for two-player games, you're looking for quick games or simple card games that you can fit in a bag for traveling, definitely recommend Rhino Hero. We're going to grab more beer. Dear God, not be this bad. Uh, and we'll be back on the other side. Caleb, what are you drinking? I am going to drink from Little Bang Brewing Company uh, in Stepney, Adelaide. Uh, yep. All right. Uh, the uh, Breakfast at Stepney Coffee Oatmeal Stout. Now, everyone knows I'm not a big fan of coffee, so I'm really suffering for the podcast drinking for this. Probably more so <laughs> more than, than I can anyone imagine. ever has <laughs> yeah. on the microphone. I so bet that's the worst beer we'll have Really today. taking yep. a bullet here by drinking this one. <laughs> So, Maddie, you used to live around the corner from this brewery? I used to live a 10-minute walk from this brewery. Dangerous. It was great. Yeah, for sure. Caleb, your face looks... That is strong in the coffee. Mm. Um, (laughs) I like like the coffees. Yeah, it is very much like you would drink that in the morning. Like, Mm. you haven't put Mm. your makeup on or taken a shower (laughs) and you need to wake up. That's when I drink my coffee. coffee (laughs) Pre-makeup. Um, yeah, it's it's very breakfasty. I'd give that a three. That's a bottle rocket. That's serviceable. It does what it says on the tin. Um, are you still sick, Ross? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, here, here. I will, we have yeah. spec And you get a glass, I'll pour. <laughs> you drank my beer, you. Ross. I didn't think, you, you said you were going to pour it down the drain. Well, I kind of did. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just substituted want, drain for gullet. Right. I got to be honest with you. I really like that, but I'm also super pro coffee. Yeah, I'm not. It, it would. It, it's very good if you like coffee. Yeah. I'm just weird in that I'm not a coffee drinker. Yeah, right. Um. So that is probably a four if if coffee is your thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. Q for the record books. It's a three because Caleb rated it. Yeah. But, but for those oh, yeah, of you listening at home, for yeah, me. it's definitely a four for me. Yeah, that's I have really ordered that on a forty degree day or like a hundred and something here. I don't know what your Honestly, ever since we don't here, either. Right. No. When you say numbers, I just I'm just like, well, it's a million. I, everything in my mind translates yeah. to a million different. Right. So, Essentially, yeah. Um, hey, we're doing a travel advisory segment, and we haven't done a ton of these. Yeah. Um, you know, Caleb and I have talked about Ross has talked about some things we've done in various cities as hey. we've been, you know, out traveling the country. But when you have 
your own Australian in-house. <laughs> you let her talk about the nature of traveling and the differences in, in this whole experience. And so Ethan has suggested, for Maddie mostly, we get it, Evelyn. <laughs> no, all of us are from here and sitting here, okay? When you're visiting a foreign place, what are some things about your home that you didn't realize you would miss, but that you suddenly notice aren't around? And you've been here... Four days? Almost a week. I got here Monday night. Oh, that's right. So it's yeah. Saturday yeah. now. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, what's it been like? I mean, are there things that you're just like, man, I didn't realize I liked that thing so much, and now it's not here anymore? Uh, yeah, I didn't realize I would miss driving on the left so much. Mm. Like, every mm -hmm. time someone has driven, and everyone's been lovely driving me around, but uh, every time anyone goes to make a corner, I freak the fuck out, because <laughs> we are going into oncoming traffic, and what are you doing? <laughs> Just every single time I look up, I'm like, we're going to die. Yeah. This is terrifying. We're, we're all very, um, very dangerous, as you as you learned on the 4th of July. <laughs> but uh, the thing that I didn't realize would come with that is you guys drive on the right, but when you pass people in like large groups walking like through an airport or whatever, mm -hmm. you also walk on the right-hand side mm -hmm. to go forwards. Mm -hmm. We walk on the left because yeah. we drive on the left. Yeah. Our escalators, if you want to go up, they're on the left. Mm -hmm. Yours are on the right. Mm -hmm. It is just weird. I, and no, one no one I would accuse so... America of being too right in 2018. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, yeah. Yep. Um, I, I miss knowing the price of things when I go to pay. Like, in, in Australia, if you say something's $5 for a coffee, I hand them a $5 note. They go, thank you, and I walk away. Oh, you don't have sales tax. We don't, tax. no. So, yeah. uh, well, tax would be included. Right? We have, yeah, yeah, we have yeah. GST, which yeah. is like 10%, but it's in the price. So yeah. whatever's written on the board, that's what you pay. That's that's nice. I miss that. That's really nice. Because like, I bought coffee How up there. How else would like, you fleece people? <laughs> it's like, it just take my money. I'm like, that's a number of change. Okay, cool, uh -huh. yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> what about food things? Yeah, so... Well, like one thing of food thing, we went to the shopping, the, the shopping center, whatever. Grocery store? Grocery store, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the trolleys or shopping carts that you guys have, you have front wheel steering? Mm -hmm. We, that's not a thing. Uh, we have like all our trolleys, they're, they're all four wheels, of, like they just spin. God. So you can just like spin on the spots, like throw your trolley. Chaos. Like it is so easy <laughs> to move that thing around the store. You don't have to put any effort in at all. Like, I am driving a, a shopping cart when I'm here. It's oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we lock those back wheels up, man. <laughs> you don't know what kind of shit you're going to get into if you let people throw their shopping carts around like that. <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah, we have, we have back wheel drive, and we still had jackass for years. That's right. They just got into terrible We've things. gotten away imagine with a lot. If the, imagine if they were omnidirectional. That'd be terrifying. Um, like, uh, again, I've only been here about a week, but, like, America's very similar so far. Oh. To Australia, um, your roads are a lot wider. That's that's very nice. Mm -hmm. um, your trees scream at night. That's terrifying. Oh, that, that doesn't happen where I live. The cicadas. They're the cicadas. Yeah. <laughs> just during the firework night, it, like there was just fireworks stopped, and I went, "Does does anyone else concerned with this?" High pitched screaming <laughs> happening. I'm, like, oh. I'm just imagining you going back to Australia and being like, and telling your friends it's like some Lovecraftian nightmare. <laughs> the trees scream. <laughs> it's a constant reminder that America is almost always in the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that. That, that doesn't. I miss quiet trees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
weirdly, I guess I didn't think I would miss my work, but I do kind yeah. of. Just like, uh, yeah, like what I do, I find fun. There's a pink concert on next week that I would have been working, but I'm doing this instead, which right. is also really fun. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really noticed any major other differences. Um, the server lady at the airport, I went to her like, oh, hey, how you going? She's like, uh, you know, cash or credit. I'm going, Cool. I'm also great. Nice. <laughs> great. Thank you. Yep. Cool. <laughs> was that at LAX? Uh, it was at the Chicago airport. Actually. Oh, that's kind of surprising. Well, yeah. Oh, here. Yeah. So, f- to be fair, you are in the heart of the Midwest now, and Midwesterners <laughs> are generally friendlier. And I'm not trying to be too rude. Generally friendlier than the coasts. Yep. Like we are known for our Midwestern hospitality. Nice. Um, so hopefully you haven't experienced that in Springfield. Not yet. Yeah. Springfield is actually, for all of its faults, of which there are a few, there are mostly friendly people in Springfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always appreciated that. Let me ask you this question. So any minute I'm not sitting on my couch is the worst minute of my life. Um, <laughs> so you're not having any of that like paralyzing, oh my God, I wish I was just sitting on my couch. You're genuinely enjoying yourself and you don't feel some innate pull to lie to all of us and say you have an emergency and get back to Australia. No, everyone's been like amazingly friendly and nice. Uh, I don't know if that's just like, hey, new and shiny, and, you know, give it three weeks and be like, oh God, it's her again. Yeah. Oh, no. This has been Spencer diagnoses himself on the microphone. <laughs> I've had a lot to drink today, guys. It's been a you had one. You had yeah yeah. I have had one Uh (laughs) in one fell swoop. (laughs) What percentage was that, by the way? Disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) At one hundred percent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Uh, Ross. What did you miss about uh, the U.S. while you were in China on your multiple trips? Um, Being able to talk to people. Just okay. yeah, yeah, that was pretty mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. Read road signs, uh, communicate, uh, not being totally tra- isolated. You know, depending on my brother because he actually speaks the language. That was pretty. You know, all right. It seems like um, big. there's also just I mean, knowing like there's an incredible amount of great food there, but like knowing what's good on a menu and what's not on sure. a menu. It's, it's just there's there's dozens of options that you don't know what the fuck is good and what's not. Yeah. And you're just experimenting. You you order something, you find out it's chicken feet. And you're like, well, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's my adventure today. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know fast food places serve chicken feet. Uh, <laughs> but they do. Yeah, well, super uh, fast to make. Yeah. <laughs> Already made, even. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> chickens. <laughs> Um, yeah. I think some of the other things uh, would be, yeah, just knowing cultural expectations of like uh, when, you know, like obviously no tipping uh, in China and uh, uh, things of that nature, but like knowing the protocol for like in meeting new people and mm. stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So not, not, you know, you're going to be that guy to everyone else. You're yeah. going to be, oh, there's that awkward Western tourist. Yeah. And you're trying not to be, but you can't not be. Yeah. So, um, I think that's the biggest thing. Maddie, here's a weird question. You are a, a connoisseur of media. You've certainly watched a lot of things uh, about Americans. <laughs> uh, are we as depicted or are... I, I'm trying to figure out what the gap is between what I see on television of Australia 
and you, and there seems to be a large gap other than yeah. you say good day earnestly. I, I do, yeah. Um, Not many people do, but right. I don't know why, but it's a thing I do, yeah. So I'm wondering if uh, we are as whatever we are depicted as that doesn't seem like so much a referential frame to me because I live here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I would say like the stereotypical American image we have in in Australia for, is from your um, reality TV shows. So Shit. all <laughs> Americans are like fat and stupid and loud and obnoxious. Uh, so you're definitely doing better than like. Oh, yeah, all right. I thought yeah. she was going to say so. That's what I'm doing yep, now. So it's, it's like, yeah, okay, that's yeah. the analogy. I'm hitting four uh, out of four. No, so yeah, that's kind of what we came from. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah, like if you hear an American accent in Australia, you go, like, oh, god damn it. Oh, oh, there's that idiot over there. That's just how you think. Mm-hmm. Because you're not well represented in uh, Asia. It's the same for Australia here, maybe. Uh, I think you're fairly well represented. <laughs> I, I have done my part representing you as much as I could on Snippets of Adventure, our, yeah, our shorter role playing game podcast, which you can subscribe to on Patreon. And Maddie, while I've got you on the microphone, I'd like to take this opportunity to ask your honest assessment. Of my Australian Wait, accent. First, first off, uh, Spencer, can you give the listeners who haven't listened to that yet? Absolutely not. Set. You <laughs> got to pay for that shit. Uh, that a, is on Snippets of Adventure uh, season two. Just introduce yourself. That is paywall content, That's sir. Right. You but of all people. It's, a, it's called a teaser, Caleb. <laughs> if you want more, no, uh, no, I've got to wind into it. Okay. I've got to be in the zone. All right, yeah. all right. Uh, to be whatever that character's name is on Snippets. We haven't recorded in just, a while. Spike just, Jones. Uh, Spike Jones. So, Maddie, lean in. How do you feel I do as an Australian talker? Oh, crikey, mate. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so pretty good, then. Fucking hell. It's yeah. a bonza, mate. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be right. Just fair dinkum and all that. <laughs> as an Australian native speaker, I think that means I'm doing very well. It's amazing. I I think by the end of your stay, I know you're just a weekend, we have to hear your southern Midwestern accent. I think that's a teaser we could put for the listeners. I think you need to be working on that. A whole episode as what you perceive of American sound. Or whatever, yeah. Um, okay, well, this has been Travel Advisory. Thanks for the question, Ethan. We're going to jump into a Ask Mixed Six fire sale. Fire sale! On the other side. What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a Loberful Beer House Cream Brulee Sweet Dessert Ale. And while I've had stuff from this brewery before, I've not actually tried this, so it is still a uh, still water rule. We need like a lunch ale. We really do. You got like We've desserts, got you got breakfast. Yep. yep. Just like a good midday. Isn't that just an ale? Like, I mean. No, I don't think so. Like a, a golden ale or something? Ooh. I right, that, that goes down smooth. Now I don't know what it's doing to my tongue. Ah, mm. huh. It is sweet, but it's not the worst. It's not the worst. So good. We're starting probably from a three. Mm-hmm. No, Maybe I, a I two. would say it's definitely a three. Okay. I, I, I drank that much in the sip. So. Oh, yeah. That's not a sip, by the way. I don't know what you Australians <laughs> fucking call a sip. That, All right, that ma'am. Australians are binge drinkers, mm-hmm. so that's a sip. <laughs> okay. We don't have that problem here in America. No, that goes down very, very (laughs) easy. I'm going to jump in on that. So that's a bottle rocket. Yeah, it's a bottle rocket. Caleb, what are we doing? Uh, We're going to do a fire sale. Uh, A lot of mixed six questions. A lot of targeted questions this time around. So while I think Mm. anyone can answer, Mm. I think we're going to have to Mm. address these two people. Oh, uh, Spencer's not into it. Mm. Spencer's not feeling it. some, Some copper on the back end of that for me that I'm not crazy about. 
I would agree on the copper. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, we're into fire sale. So here's what we're going to do. We have color-coded questions uh, from different people for different people. And so we've color-coded questions for Maddie, for Caleb, and for myself. Mm-hmm. Ross, feel free to jump in. Uh, and so we're just going to run through these, alternating who's going to answer what. So, Maddie, you are familiar with the fire sale premise. Yep. Um, you know, provide a concise, brilliant answer, <laughs> and we'll move on to the next thing. Uh, and we're starting with you. Yep. Noah, I'm guessing Noah Carden, this has got to be Broa, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of the uh, Maple Syrup Blood Money podcast asks, Dear Mixed Six and Maddie, so really just you, yep. Vegemite, Why? Because it is delicious, but you're eating it wrong. Get toast, slather it with butter, like fuck loads of butter, and the tiniest amount of Vegemite, and it is delicious. What, what? is it made out of? Is, is it a? Yeast, is there a Vegemite plant? It's like very salty yeast. Is mm. is fuckload a metric conversion, or is that something that is <laughs> definitely the same? metric? Okay, yeah. sounds good. Uh, Caleb, for you, Dan Cassidy asks, is there Cassidy or Cassidy? Dan, let me know in the notes, please. Mm-hmm. Asks, is the movie Get Out about a Delta Green operation? All it lacks was a briefing or debriefing of the DGTSA asset, or what are your favorite Lovecraftian movies that aren't directly based on specific Lovecraft stories? Uh, I do not think it's a Delta Green operation. Uh, I think two federal agents could have wiped out those people pretty easily. They had a deer rifle and nice white exterior attitudes like that's not going to stand up to a dg operation also the the um involvement of law enforcement in the film's get out message might have muddied the waters a little bit uh i will say i do love that the good guys uh the only good guy you have in lovecraftian fiction armitage is the name of the bad white people in get out i think that is a very intentional pull, mm. uh, and it's interesting. I think my favorite Lovecraftian movie that is not from a Lovecraft story is Absentia, which is uh, utterly terrifying. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, the Void is also pretty the good. The Void is also It's not explicitly Lovecraftian, but it's very Lovecraftian. Yeah. Yeah. Things I am naive of, everything except for Get Out you just talked about. That's why I sent that one towards me. I'm going <laughs> to send one towards you. Great idea. Uh, Jacob Derby asks... When is the act of subtweeting, talking about someone without publicly naming them, a necessary or socially constructive act? Is that what we're calling, like, talking behind someone's back now, subtweeting? Uh, well, no, well, so no, subtweeting is a specific act, right? So, for example, uh, oh, after... So f- forum tweeting about someone, but not tagging. But the not moment tagging when them. your friend does. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, are there examples that you can think of in recent memory where this has been an effective tactic to promote positive change? Or is it just passive-aggressive nonsense? Uh, Okay, so both of my examples are admittedly bad examples, and both of them come from the pop music world because that's who I am. Uh, That's the kind of bullshit I'm on. So I was kind of like made aware of the whole concept of subtweeting after Taylor Swift released Bad Blood, which is one of the best Taylor Swift songs in 2015, I think. Um, And then it kind of like comes to fruition that Bad Blood is actually about like the souring of her relationship with Katy Perry and how all of this goes south very quickly. Uh, And Katy Perry tweets something to the effect of like I think it's pretty fucking funny that like we're talking about empowering women in a song that is like exclusively about disempowering or ragging on a woman Uh, so she never mentions Taylor Swift never mentions the song but it's clear if you understand the context right like she's talking to or talking at Taylor Swift about bad blood so that's kind of the nature of subtweeting Um, in terms of examples of positive social change uh, I don't know Um, kind of interestingly also I think in 2015 uh, Nicki Minaj was not nominated for, I think, like a a, a VMA. Uh, And 
there was a lot of backlash over that because at the time it was assumed that some of the stuff that Nicki Minaj was doing was like pretty progressive and pushed the needle culturally, et cetera. And she would be rewarded for that. And so she tweeted something about not being like one of those kinds of artists. And there was a lot of conversation if that meant like white kind of artist or if that meant like, you know, traditional run of the mill pop kind of artist. Taylor Swift misinterpreted uh, Nicki Minaj's tweet thinking it was about her because she'd won a bunch of awards and it started a little Twitter war that wasn't a Twitter war. But I think that um, there definitely was a thread there, which was uh, kind of raising consciousness around um, the whiteness or the sociocultural expectations of what it meant to be a pop star in in 2015 America. So like that could be interesting. Having said that, most of the subtweeting that I see or that I think is like worthy of sharing with people is not the positive social change stuff. It's the you know I'm being a passive aggressive asshole. And for and in some instances, it's really funny. Yeah, that's how I feel about subtweeting. Fair enough. Uh, all right, Maddie. Uh, Jeb asks, Mads, what are your thoughts on the 4th of July? I'd be interested in a non-native's opinion, seeing as you have just recently survived a day of festive <laughs> explosions and alcohol. <laughs> um, it was it was fantastic. Like, So Australians' perception of the 4th of July is just fireworks going wrong. That happened. That was like 10 out of 10. I don't think I can ever go to the <laughs> nope. 4th of July again. Peak 4th of July. Yeah, like, I, I won. Let, let's move on. Um, but, you know, it was, it was fantastic. We had like a bar... You grilled, not a barbecue. We were grilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we were mm-hmm. grilling. Um, there was just a bunch of people. Like everyone just got on and explosions. What's not to love? It was fantastic. I've never felt more patriotic. Is barbecue just a generic term of cooking things outdoors? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, like, what, what? Yeah, we were barbecuing, but you call it grilling. It's right. The same. Yeah, thing. because we have a specific iteration. You know, barbecue. You can grill what? things that are are barbecue, or you can grill things that are not barbecue. Right. Uh, it's a method barbecue of is preparing a style. Food. I think yeah. barbecue. We just go. It's this. Right. That's one word. We we nailed it. Yeah. Done. <laughs> Got it. Cool. 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 Uh, hey, Laura B asks. Um, also, hi to Laura and Adam. I feel like I haven't talked to them oh. in a while, and now hi, here Laura. they are. And we, we all, from all of us, the mix six, including Maddie, mm. um, we hope Little Baby Limehouse is just the best right now. Yeah. Um, so look forward to meeting them all. All at of Gen you Con. at Gen Con. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which movies would Caleb show someone new to an RBG, RPG like Spencer? Not RBG. I'm very not new to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> Uh, to demonstrate what the feel of that RPG is slash can be, which movies does Caleb think are surprisingly terrible examples? Um, so <laughs> I guess it would depend on the RPG. In general, if I just have to show people about like what an RPG is, I, I mean, I think you could do worse with the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, they're very ensemble mm, cast, uh-huh. and they split the party and you know all, all sorts of things like that. Definitely not the D&D film. That, would not, that is surprisingly terrible because it's named D&D <laughs> and the absolute worst thing to watch. Um... <laughs> Altered Carbon wouldn't be bad because near the end yes. he has, sort of has his own party that he's assembled. You just have to like be very clear that Takeshi Kovacs is hogging the spotlight here, and he's a real Mary Sue. Um, and uh, my weird picks would be I no a non weird pick would be a heist movie, Ocean's movies, ensemble casts. My weird pick would be Altman films. Robert Altman films because oh. the the here to an Altman film is that there's not typically a very clear protagonist they are very much ensemble based they're very much about how is this group of people the character and not just you Mm, and if mm -hmm. i had to teach somebody what an rpg was i teach them something where it's like you need to fit into a cohesive whole with everybody else you do not need to be the star of the show jesus and Mm. i think that would be a, a better way to twig somebody into how you do it well at the start rather than you know, ham it up right. every single second. Caleb the egalitarian. So like mash or something. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. This got deep. 
<laughs> um, hey, Baz has asked uh, another very long question that I'm going to take about growing tired of craft beers and sticking to Coors Light or not drinking at all. A phase, an acceptable shift in taste, or the onset of age? I love you, Baz, but it was like four paragraphs long. Yeah. Aww. I appreciate the examples. We've condensed, yeah. is what we're saying. <laughs> it's a fire set. Um, as someone who's actually going through that phase right now, um, I think... So, you know, spoiler, phase, I think. Um, just because... I haven't felt great as a body of a thing um, after drinking the last couple of times. And so when I have consumed alcohol, I've consumed like super light, not very interesting. I want to have a couple beers because it makes sense socially and I enjoy the act of it, but I don't want to feel like I've had a couple of beers. And so I'm drinking bottles of Bush Light, which is generally a good choice anyways. Um, so I think it's an, I think it's a phase. I also think it's an okay shift in taste for what it's worth. This is not what I'm going through, but the reality is, the more I go to the liquor store and I walk up and down those refrigerated doors and look at um, what I'm going to buy, we've tried a lot of it at this point, and I know that most of it is just threes up and down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you look at our beer ratings, it's it's threes all the way down. I mean, it is a perfect fucking curve. <laughs> and the reality is, if I'm going to just drink an okay beer or something I'm fine with... Make it cheaper. Right. I should just yep. spend six ninety nine or five ninety nine on a six-pack, not nine ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And so... What? Yeah. What's so cheap? No, I, I know. I, the, of all the things you've told me about Australia, that your alcohol is, well, as I understand the translation, a million dollars a bottle. <laughs> I, I worked on Disney on Ice the other, like, two weeks ago, and unprompted, someone, like, one of the Americans just turned to me and went, why is your beer so expensive? Yeah, like, it's all absurd. Right. I'd like to hear everyone at Disney on Ice is drunk out there. <laughs> you knew it. You um, knew that. Moving heavy equipment on ice is uh, great. One of the quotes they pulled from that is, is that safe? It's Disney safe. I'm like, alrighty then. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is a great term. All right. Hey, Christopher Keener has asked a very long question to Maddie that basically boils down to what your biggest gaming regrets would be if one of Australia's many deadly animals murdered you. So, uh, like, games you haven't played, campaigns you didn't finish, games oh. you'd run differently, stuff like that. I mean, like, I only really got into the gaming scene two years ago, so there are so many games I have never played that I need to. Yeah. So, like... Most of it, like, I've only really played through one real RPG campaign, because we start campaigns and they just fizzle out. Right. But just everything, really. Like, I've never played Arkham Horror. I've never... <laughs> yeah. If you if you want to play a really long finicky game, I have 73 others we but could like, try. There's a lot of those, like, staple games that people talk about I have never played that right. I definitely need to. Um, I just got the three... Um, book set of uh, Unknown Armies. Like, yeah, I need to play that at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just like a ton of things because I only really am entering the hobby yeah. that I just haven't done. Like, everything really. Did you come to gaming by way of RPGs or by way of like tabletop stuff? Yeah, so one of my uh, best friends said to me, like, hey, there's this podcast that you should probably listen to. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. And, like, um, never did. Mm-hmm. Then he, he played a Call of Cthulhu game. Yeah. He was like, yeah, this is what RPGs are. I'm like, that's cool. What was that podcast you mentioned? Mm. Now I'm here. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Cool. Hey, Frederick asks, how is, and this is to Caleb, obviously. You would have known that after I read the question. <laughs> how is D&D like Trotskyism? Um, it's... Not um, the argument that D and D is somehow embodying the permanent revolution when it's been based in a feudal system since its inception in the seventies is pretty ridiculous. Trotsky was also very against the bureaucratization of socialism um, and 
I would not call D&D anti-bureaucracy. I guess you could call it a permanent revolution as they change editions, but like I don't think 4th edition is revolutionarily different than 5th edition. The one thing I could see is that D&D has been replaced and supplanted by a more retrograde form of its own system by Pathfinder. Uh, so if, if D&D is like Trotskyism, uh, Pathfinder is Lenin. Um, so that's all I can come Damn. up with. Yeah, Pathfinder's going to make a t-shirt on that one. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, this is for Spencer. Greg Hello. Bennett, you've kind of touched on this, actually. Uh, Greg Bennett, hi, Greg, uh, asks, outside of purchases for the podcast, which we have not done in a long time, right. thanks to you wonderful people, <laughs> um, uh, what affects your habits for purchasing alcohol, a good label, a style you like, a brewery you like, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, see previous answer regarding if I'm just going to buy something and it's all going to be meh, then I'm going to buy the cheaper version of meh. Uh, having said that, there are a couple of instances where when I go to a cooler, I do generally look for one or two things first. The first thing I look for is something by Prairie Artisan Ales or Perennial. Mm. So I definitely do go by Brewer. Um, and then if I can't find something by one of those two brewers that I'm just like really wanting to drink, like Prairie Flare, for example, or Vape Tricks, I will look by style. So if you've got a Goza, you've got a Sour, um, you've got a Berliner Weiss, I'm very interested in trying those if I haven't already had them. Uh, after those things, labels don't really bother me. Um, the aesthetic look of a beer is meh. I, it's all inside and it's going to get me drunk or not. So I don't really care about those things. It's brewer, style, price. As I'm getting older, weather's affecting me more. Yeah, I used to I be like 105 degrees, let me have a stout. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 this has expanded my horizons yeah. enough that I will sort of drink seasonally more often than I used to. That, so That's a good condition. Maybe not seasonally is what I'd say, but like if I know I'm going to be drinking for a while... I will look for something lighter, which typically is like a Goza or a Sour or a Domestic. If I'm just going to have a couple, I'm probably more likely to do like the Stout. You know what I mean? So I guess, yeah, not seasonally, but conditionally. Yeah. yeah. Same, same. I started drinking beer based on the label uh, because mm. I didn't know what beer was. So I was Risky. like, oh, that looks cool. Yeah. And then I realized what type of beer I like. So I just started buying those. Yeah. So you kind of like backed your way into yeah. to, to category. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one last question. Um, Basically Ethan, for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, the different color made me think, oh, it's all people. <laughs> um, Ethan Cordry asks, if you could change one small thing about your home country to be more like a different country, what would it be uh, small, not like healthcare or weather? Good <laughs> clarification there. Uh, Caleb? Um, I don't know if it's small enough, uh, but, okay, not changing the party system or anything like that. Uh, still voting, still have the Electoral College, all that kind of stuff. But if we could do the ranked voting system of Australia, where you put your first choice, <laughs> mm-hmm. second choice, third choice, and decide that way, uh, that might be too big, but uh, that would be awesome. I would really big. like to do that. That is but, a much better way to run a democracy. Yes. Democratic representation yep. does seem like a big thing. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, I, uh, other than that, I would not make people pay for recycling. Oh, it's yeah. an insane yeah. thing we do around here. I get paid. Where, you, where recycling is a fucking lifestyle choice that costs you 80 plus bucks a month to do that. And uh, that's stupid. It would pay If we had started recycling in the 90s when you should have as a mass, like, non-negotiable thing, it would have paid for itself 80 times over by mm-hmm. now. So. So, so, yeah, if I recycle my beer bottles, I get 10 cents back per one I recycle. Yeah. They pay me to recycle. Um, yeah. <laughs> fucking broken. Yeah, uh, I know. I would uh, speak of what Maddie was talking about earlier. Uh, make the price tag the price tag, tax included, and everything. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be nice. Yeah, Maddie, what would you change? 
Uh, so firstly, the, the internet speeds, please. Mm, the mm-hmm. internet, I don't know if that's too big. But Feel, it feels like the internet is up there with weather and healthcare. Yeah, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like, if I could, if I could squeeze that in, the I God, I need internet like mm-hmm. that works properly. Sure. Uh, if not, like the the how wide your roads are are just fantastic. Yeah. Could we? Could I just steal that? Like, yeah, yeah that'd be great. It's all yours. Yeah. I bequeath it to you. Uh, for me, I watch too much uh, British television, and I just think they say the coolest things. And so I wish that we said more cool things like "crack on" when we meant like "keep going." That's my thing. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that kind of shit. Every time in the Great British Baking Show, Mel and or Sue is like, you'll be fine. Crack on. I'm like, God damn it. Where where are you at, America? Um, okay, cool. Well, we're going to grab more beer. In particular, I'm going to grab another beer because I've been out of beer for two segments. Thanks, me. Uh, and we'll be back on the other side. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? Uh, so this is also from Little Bang Brewing Company, which is the brewery that you're currently sipping on. Mm-hmm. This is the Pinkening, a hibiscus session sour. And we really have taken a liking to hibiscus on the show, uh, particularly you. Uh, and so I'm happy to steal something that you've been looking forward to drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I earned it. Yeah, no, no crap. He is drinking it. The can is lovely. It has little pink figures and bears and unicorns. One of them looks like a pickle. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Really? That's that's the one that tried to kill Caleb. <laughs> that's what that is. Still, uh, still don't know how I feel about this rating system, right? Right. I don't see anything wrong. That with is, it's pretty great. That is acceptable. As a as a recent hibiscus fan, you need to. That is one of the most drinkable beers I've ever had. That is the beer I got drunk on on my birthday this year. My goodness, of course you did. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I would drink a lot of that. Hard five. Woo. <laughs> Both ends of the spectrum today. Also, a beautiful little can. Um, just, just goofily drawn cartoon characters, all pink everywhere, and a really nice description from the brewery about what this beer is about. So, good on you, Little Bang. I would have trouble drinking it in certain areas, though, due to the can. Like, yeah. yeah. As I'm drinking more with the weather, I, I'm like, you know, I'll have an apricot cider mm-hmm. or something like that yeah. when it's like 105 degrees outside. So I'll go over to like... Jason, who is like all that is man and drinking <laughs> motor oil and snake venom. And I'm like, I brought a raspberry provincial. <laughs> it's a um, pesh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and that can is pink and covered in unicorn. So uh, be careful who you're drinking it around, maybe. If, you, if you're uh, living as a uh, programmed uh, male, cis male. Uh, but um, yes, I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Hey, we're into this was a mistake, which was tied for your number one vote getter. Uh, alongside the Mix 6 Mock Draft, which, spoiler, we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb, you chose this one, and I think it was largely an outgrowth of Maddie, an experience that you recently had while running, <laughs> literally running through customs to make a flight. Yeah, let's see if they can guess what the subject was. So tell me about your experience at customs. Oh, God. Uh, so, like, my, my initial flight was, like, Adelaide to Melbourne, and then at Melbourne I had to go to Australian customs, like, here's my passport. All right, on the plane. Um, then I landed in LAX, and they're like, all right, so who has a you know, connection flight within two hours, which was the entire plane? They're like, great, all of you get an express pass, which just means the express line is a giant line. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So we're then standing in the express line for forever. Um, you go up to the TSA agent and he's like, 
what are you here for? And I'm like, I'm here to see my mates. Uh-huh. And he just kind of looks at me like, what? And I'm like, I t- holiday? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Just take my stuff. Uh-huh. Just yeah, so you know, stamps it and everything like that. And this has been like almost an hour at this point that I've gotten to this stage. Um, I'm like, cool. What do I do now? And because I went from uh, Qantas from Australia into United, I then had to pick up my bags from the baggage check. Check them back in yeah. to get on to the United, which was fine because I kind of just got up the the escalator that was on the wrong side, and <laughs> a guy's like, "Let me take your bags." I'm like, "I hope you're putting mm-hmm. them on my plane, not just robbing me." Cool. Um, <laughs> I got to the the United um, like check in place because I, I had to get my boarding passes printed for my next two flights. And she prints them after, like, you know, just, oh, I don't think she knew how computers worked. She took a while. And she printed them, looked at them, and went, yeah, your plane started boarding ten minutes ago. You should cancel this flight and book new ones. And I went, or it's still boarding. Mm -hmm. I could just, could I just run? Let me just, yeah, nah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just go. And she's like, right, run quick. So I took my boarding passes. I've only got a backpack on me because all my luggage has been checked in, hopefully, by the man that didn't rob me. Uh, and I, am, I, am, I run from the, I think, Thomas Bradley is where I landed. Like, the I don't know, the sure. one thing in LAX where mm-hmm. you go in from international. Uh, four terminals through. Jesus. So I'm just legging it. I look at the cabs. I'm like, would it be quicker to take a cab at this point? Mm-hmm. Do I pay that? I'm just legging it um and i get to you know terminal seven at the very end of this like i don't know u-shape of an airport i couldn't tell you what lax looks like i was just and we don't need it people no. it's just people it's, yeah people right. all, all running on the <laughs> wrong side like yeah. i'm trying to go to the left and there's people coming at me i'm like what is this jerks um but yeah I, like, I get there and then there's a security line they're like cool uh there was no logic to this security bit, they were like, you know, in Australia, you just line up and then you, you grab your tray, you put it behind the last person and it all goes through at once. The security guy's like, ah, yeah, if you find the spot, just go for it. Just fucking do this. I'm like, what? I So there's people like putting it on the end and there's like empty, you just grab a tray, you're like, fuck you, I'm putting mine in front of yours. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that. I have to take my shoes off yep. for some reason because, yep. yep. you know. Yep. Um, and so that's how the dirty bomb got into America, <laughs> yep, yep. because uh, the flights were close together. <laughs> so uh, I think this is a mistake is going to be about the TSA and why it's pointless. God. Uh, I think it's good that they pay a bunch of people $15 an hour. Uh, I think it's a great <laughs> as an employment program. Uh, I think as like a way to stop crimes and terrorism, it's pretty terrible. Uh, well, the thing about the TSA, obviously, it grew out of, you know, our just the nation collectively losing its shit over 9-11. Um, and it's basically uh, what people, some experts have termed security theater. It's explicitly yeah. designed to give us, tr- to give the public trust in the system, to mm-hmm. make them, th- it's okay to go on the plane. It's not, nothing bad's going to happen. Because see, look at all these things that are happening. You you have to go through all this bullshit so you know it's safe. It's, yeah. it's psychological manipulation. I've never had a pat-down search till I got to America. I've had one twice now. Be yeah, careful. And you see the horror stories of like that being abused or like strip searching a grandma and stuff like that yeah. in the news. But and luckily I haven't gone to go through that, so like my grievance isn't very hard on on this one, but like at the same time, like 
the inconveniences are staggering. We all take off our shoes because one guy failed to set off a shoe bomb because it requires taking off your shoes and putting a lighter on them. And guess what? He got that caught. shit's suspicious. <laughs> and that was like 15 or 13 Yeah, it was nearly ago. two decades ago at this yeah. point, and we still have to do the weird shoe dance. You still have to wear special clothes that you can easily remove. We've got the porno scanners, which have no fucking utility other than like really driving home how dystopian the shit is. And um, I remember we went to Metatopia when yeah. I got stopped because they God. freaked out because of our um, the prototype, prototype. party file was in our bag and it was in a fucking uh, tackle box. Yep. And it was at the bottom of it. And so they stop us and pull me to the side and they're like, what is in here? And he starts rifling through it. And I'm like, oh, uh, we went to a game design conference in Jersey. That's the prototype of the game. It keeps all the opponents separate. He's like, okay, I'm not sure he saw it. He shuffled through my clothes in the bag like like a lazy shuffle of cards. <laughs> like he just sort of rifled them and then made me have to zip up all my shit while people are being pissed at me yeah. behind it. And I'm just like, if if the, if I could just say it's a it's a board game, like Is that what enough? was the point of checking it? Like I'm pretty sure if I really want to blow up a plane of people, I can like pre-concoct a lie about it being a board game. Um, so I think it's a massive mistake. It seems silly that like, oh well, we don't need customs anymore because the flights are really close together. Either you need the security or you don't. And I don't know if, like, the economic utility of the TSA employing a bunch of people balances out, like, its abuses and its inconvenience? Probably not. So, like, I've never had, like, a particularly bad interaction with a TSA agent or had a particularly bad TSA experience. For me, the thing that's always weird is the inconsistency in how the TSA protocol gets enforced. So, like... You know, I have been in Springfield, Missouri, where 11 people fly out of this city every month. And I will go through like a full TSA protocol. But I was running through O'Hare a couple of months back. And the guy was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just go. And I was like, what the motherfucker? Okay, hold on, everybody. Because if it is airport theater, security theater. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Well, uh, that thing, like I ran for my, like I got to the security gate. And, like, we're all in a line to get the security thing. They'd be like, yeah, you to you. Like, five people, like, just just go through. We don't have time. Yeah. And I was like, me, I'm literally late, body, can't get the... No, no, definitely. Because I was like, out of breath. But you look safe. I was out of breath. I was dying. And they're like, yeah, you definitely go through the scan. I'm like, please. Right. Please, I need to keep going. (laughs) So I will say this. They have definitely um, developed a script in my mind, right? I mean, it's part of the deal, too, right? That people become normalized to the interaction you're going to have as part of the security protocol. When that script gets violated, I do get a little uneasy. I mean, I'm going to admit that. Like, watching the carelessness with being a part of, having experienced the carelessness with which some of the security protocols I've been through have been treated, I do kind of, like, have a moment like, uh, is that... Is that how problems occur? And then I start doing like the whole, the, the thing that you're thinking right now is exactly the thing this is all designed to make you feel, right? I mean, that, that because we have these protocols and these interactions in place, you're not going to feel any of these things. And so I'm feeling the effects of airport security theater. Um, it is weird to me how 
rigorously or non-rigorously, these things these things can be enforced given that we have entrenched it into our travel protocol for I mean, 17 I mean, years. I mean, you shouldn't because it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> terrorists and other people can get through all the time. Yeah, you read, you read examinations of it from, like, guys who've worked in Israeli airports and stuff. <laughs> and, like, they're just like, yeah, this is the most inefficient system possible. We wouldn't do anything like this. Right, not just inefficient, uh, ineffective. Yeah, yeah, and... and um, so you get that sort of expert opinion, but like on the one hand, I'm very glad the TSA is not its own like culture and identity. I'm glad it's not like you know militarized police where they have their own sure. churches and their own line of clothes, and it's like you are this forever. And like I'm very glad it's not an identity. But the other hand of that is it's just a fucking job, right? <laughs> and you're just getting paid whether you do it or not. And so you get these weird disconnects. Yeah. And then you also get the occasional person who does wear the TSA like an right. identity, right? And that. That makes the rules so scattershotly yes. applied yeah. that it's nonsense. Like when you go up against like Paul Blart, yeah. first line in the defense of America's skies, and he's like trying to pat down your kid because he thinks they're a dirty bomb. Um, that's going to like cause a lot of distress and uh, freak people out. And then at the other time, when you just have a guy who's like, I don't give a shit. My shift's almost over. Right. Boop. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, like, that's not good for the law. That's not good when you're in a law enforcement capacity sure. or pretending to be in a law enforcement capacity like the TSA. Um, and then the immigration stuff makes it all the worse. So, like, it's just, I mean, have more baggage handlers. Like, pay those people $15 an hour to do something more useful. Like, I don't want everyone to lose their job, but I also really don't want to take off my shoes and worry about naked pictures of me being passed around as in the break room. Like, yeah. In Australia, uh, we have a security gate, obviously, but you keep your shoes on. Right. Uh, you just take everything out of your pockets, your belt off, um, your backpack if you've got one, and you go through the gate. Your friends and family can also go through this gate with you, even if they don't have a ticket, oh, and wow. see you off to the gate yeah. still. Like. <laughs> Uh, I got there at, you know, 4.30 in the morning when I was leaving because my flight was at 6 a.m. and I was paranoid. But my dad rocked up at mm -hmm. 5 a.m. I just looked up and like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, mm -hmm. oh, I figured we'd get coffee. So he's gone through security, just taking the stuff out of his pockets. So like, gonna go to work later. He's just like, yeah, just let's get coffee hmm. inside of the airport gates. Yeah, we're not, like, we're not allowing that. That's old school America. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, the main thing is the TSA is never going away because no politician, no person, right. policymaker is ever going to be the person who right. dismantles TSA and then something bad happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that you know. Uh, two, it's a bludgeon to bludgeon, you know, the I want to speak to your manager people and the and and basically the idiots who need who aren't going to read who aren't going to know anything. But if they see that there is this procedure going on, they will trust the flighter that they will not yeah. freak out and that they want this because, again, you know, uh, we're, we're our collective psyche was shattered by one sure. terrorist attack. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, and we've never really recovered. So, yay. Also, opportunity uh, to revisit Ethan Cordray's question from our third segment. If you could change one small thing about your home country, the thing I would change is being able to keep my fucking shoes on <laughs> in the security line. It is yeah. the most annoying thing. You know, thing uh, they're making a new policy change, too. You're going to have to start taking your snacks out of your bags. Well, I don't bring snacks with me. Safe there. Okay. Yep. Well, got not, you good, TSA. You don't take a fucking granola bar with you? No. Jesus. Eat before or at the gate, man. Okay. Yeah, so you can pay $10 for a Also, they should just give you toothpaste and shampoo when you get on off the, the other plane. side. Yeah. Oh, like, like, if they're going to make it that much of a pain in the ass to have basic toiletries while you travel, 
like a dentist can give me a toothbrush pretty easily. Like, just give me a toothbrush yeah. when I land, so we don't have to fuck with the uh, fourteen and a half hour flight I was on. Uh, Qantas gave me like a little bag. It had earplugs, a toothbrush, like yay much toothpaste. Oh, that's brilliant! Like, so you could brush your teeth once on that flight that's if you awesome. wanted to. That's and awesome! It was fantastic. I was Thanks, like, Qantas. What? Um, okay, well, that's what we feel like most of us feel like is a mistake, although I'm apparently flying pretty right. Um, <laughs> we're going to grab a little more beer, and we'll be back on the other side with your other number one vote-getter, the Mix 6 Mock Draft. Caleb, what Australian beer are you about to drink? Uh, from Pike's Beer Company... Uh, pikes are like fish, right? I don't know. Yep. I don't know. Sure. They have teeth? Am I imagining? Yeah, pike, yes. Like big teeth? Yes. Like Why do you know teeth? so much about fish? <laughs> How do you not know things about fish? Because I play video games and and don't fish. <laughs> I don't fish either. But you know, but why why then have so much knowledge about fish? Do you fish? not appreciate nature? No. <laughs> and if I'm going to, I'm going to look at a fucking mountain, man. You wouldn't go shoot fireworks with us because it was outside. <laughs> yeah. As if there was an alternative. Nature's to pretty shooting fucking fireworks. cool, man. Yeah, definitely. I like the trees and the sky and also sometimes it snows, but you have a National Geographic like knowledge of fish. Uh- a lot of edibles are neat. Okay. Caleb, what do you drink? Uh, all right. Drink um, Pike's Beer Company. Which we've learned is a fish uh, and they have large teeth. 2015 Cherry Creek. K-R-I-E-K. We have not had a Cherry Creek that we disliked. I have not had a Cherry... Well, let's see. Yeah. yeah. The New Belgium La Creek Noir, I believe, was a cherry from Janice and Mark. Mm. Yep. Yep. Keeping that theme alive. I'm looking at this. That is a pleased face. How are we feeling? That is easily a four. That is a good fountains that fountains go forever. That go forever. Uh, just like I'll, I'll drink a cherry, slap it on a creek over mm-hmm. forever. That is a very good one. Ross just showed me. Uh, a picture it's got of a sort of hike. a. It's got the sort of the more complex cherry flavor of like a three philosophers on the mm-hmm. back end. Uh, I, I like it quite a bit. Mm. It's a little heavier for a cherry. Oh, yep. Mm. More like a cherry stout, Ooh. almost. Got a little medicine in there. Uh, <laughs> but I, I like it. Um, hey, we're I into think. our number one vote-getter, the Mixed Six Mock Draft. And so if you've been here before, you're familiar with this format. If you've not been with us before, in the Mock Draft, someone gives us a premise, and then we compose usually a team of fictional or non-fictional people and or characters to participate in said premise. And today, we've got a doozy. Did you come up with this premise, yep. Caleb? Yep. Well, I'll let you jump in there and explain. <laughs> All right. H.G. Wells, mm-hmm. avid tabletop gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, well known. Has made himself immortal. He created the first war game. Uh, using his time machine. Yeah. Um, and wants to start a tabletop gaming company. He can pull three other novelists from history and employ them at his board game company as designers. H.G. is out. He's management. He's too obvious to pick. <laughs> Um, who does he grab, and what genre of game do they make? The most profitable company wins, and the honorable mention is someone pulled from history, but who clearly got fired on the very first day. Love it. Uh, so, uh, in in the honor spirit of competition, we're going to let Maddie go first. This is the away team. Uh, so, we're going to unredact our answers now. All of them? Uh, oh, you can go one at a time. That's fine. All right. Um, yep. Yeah. So my first pick would be uh, Thomas Harris, 
Uh, and I reckon he'd be pretty good at making like escape room esque uh, legacy games where where you're investigating a crime or like a, a, a serial killer or something like that. Holy shit! Can you imagine a Thomas Harry theme <laughs> escape room? All right, don't turn on the lights until I close the door. Click. There's just like fucking blood, and <laughs> shit painted in intestines everywhere. Renaissance paintings, yeah, in like, intestines. Yeah. This is an intense escape room. Yeah. I feel like that would, you know, that would sell well. <laughs> uh, you going next, Caleb? You want me to go next? I just really want to go to a Thomas Harris escape room. It's <laughs> fucking nightmare difficulty. Um, I will go next. So I am going to go Karlov Nasgard, who wrote the Norwegian novel My Struggle, which is one of the longest autobiographical, semi-autographical books ever written, so long and detailed that it reportedly drove his wife to madness, <laughs> reading about his uh, fetishistic detailing of her every activity in the morning, uh, which took up no less than 300 pages in one... Six novels. Yes. uh, And he is going to design a 4X Euro strategy game. Look, I've met Twilight Imperium people. I know what they want. They want spreadsheets. (laughs) They want more detailed mechanics. They want to count every noodle of pasta in campaign in North Africa, and they want to call it medium difficulty. This guy's so detail-oriented, so intense about it. This 4X strategy game is, you may not finish it in a lifetime. You'll play it forever. Um, And they're going to want to do that. Uh, (laughs) I will see them at Origins playing, like, a 4X strategy game about, like, getting ready for work in the morning (laughs) that will take no less than... 82 hours to get through one turn like and uh i think there's a definite if board gaming's taught me anything there's a market for that there's always a market for more i just more of everything more minis more mechanics more boards more expansions and uh nasgard's the crazy asshole that can give it to that i feel like Uh, when you set profitability as the standard though yeah i i worry about uh yeah, point of order. Uh, order uh, campaign for North Africa commercially flopped. So, they- but Twilight Imperium didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and it's easily as insane, in my opinion. But people um, don't. But but like, it's a question of purchasing, right? So, if profitability is the standard here, which is what, which is how I've organized two of my three answers. Um, I'm looking for someone who's going to sell a bunch of RPGs. Have you seen Arkwright? The components don't have to be that good. Arkwright is a fucking spreadsheet. That's all the board is. It's an Excel spreadsheet about making Victorian-era shirts. And it retails for 90 fucking dollars. Like... But the point is... We can do that with NASCAR. No, the point is, I haven't seen Arkwright, and I know a bunch of game people. And so it's like, yes, it costs $90, but if one out of every 7,000 people buys it, then you're making $90 per 7,000 people. So instead, I would argue that you go the other direction. Find someone who's likely to sell as much book as possible, and who's going to do that better in in the horror genre than Robert Lawrence Stein, otherwise known as R.L. Stein. Oh, my God. We're just going to turn Goosebumps into a mm, 
not much older. Just every Goosebumps book as an RPG campaign. Someone's probably already done this, if I'm being totally honest. And if not, I feel like that's going to be season yeah, three. Yeah, Goosebumps is what Adventure. the kids want. The movie went so well. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. <laughs> Fucking broke the block. Talk about talk about <laughs> records across selling. the board. Well, yeah, but look, if, if that's how Jack Black got his star. Look, though. you know that argument doesn't make sense because the D and D movie was terrible and everybody hated it, and yet D and D is still the most prolific system. So I think there's something too. If you want to sell a bunch of fucking books, get somebody who knows how to sell a bunch of fucking books. And I can't think of anyone in my lifetime really who has captured a genre and sold a bunch of fucking books more than R.L. Stein. Right, I gotta uh, say though, uh, R.L. Stein's definitely my honorable mention for being fired the next day. Oh, see, I took a different uh, route with horror. Nice. Yeah. He is definitely like the amount of books that are written by ghostwriters. He'll get there and be like, "Can you just like make this?" He's like, "Yeah, let me just call a guy." Oh yeah, like, he's like that glass yeah. guy. He plagiarizes everything he fucking puts out. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 R.L. Yeah. Stein's my honorable mention for not actually writing half of this stuff. H.G. Yeah. Wells ain't gonna play that. <laughs> no, well, he runs a tight ship. Eh, does he? <laughs> I mean, um, okay, Maddie, pick two. Oh, uh, okay, let me just unhighlight this. Uh, did it do? Uh, Stephen King. Just horror board games. Yep. Just all like once a month, he's just gonna like just mill one out. Like it Definitely. doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're gonna be a Kickstarter. Literally just right. all of them. Supplements everywhere. Horror yeah. everything. Uh, he is just the grindhouse. Yeah. That just make sure we're always that's right aware with our customers. Here's here's this new 900 page supplement I wrote yesterday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good luck. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb, second pick. Uh, my second pick is gonna be. Uh, John Le Carre, Deception Bluffing Games. Like it? I all, uh, made my list initially, and then yeah, I dumped him. Yeah. So okay, look, we we especially with the CIA leak, we already know that espionage nerds are also board game nerds, and that's how they train for shit. Which is just awesome. By the way, if someone can get me into one of those CIA board games, <laughs> I desperately want to play one. Um, and I know they're being demoed at cons, uh, but. John Le on a deception bluffing game, like, holy shit, you'd be drawing pistols on each other at the end of it, and that's not part of the game mechanic. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Uh, it would be like diplomacy on crack. Like, it would be intense. So uh, I think he's going to dominate that market. Like, oh, you, oh, you've tried deception? Uh, have you tried John Le- right. Tinker yeah. Taylor Soldier Spy? No, like- no. Tinker Taylor Soldier Dice. <laughs> nice. Mm. Uh, same vein, also went with the non-fantasy, non-horror, not-so-much-fiction setting. Uh, and actually, I had I had Jean Le Carre, Jean, Jean Le Carre, I actually like a lot better, on my list initially, next to this guy, again, trying to sell books here, John motherfucking Grisham. So, oh, God. So, they're legal games. Jesus, you're the fucking Walmart of board games. <laughs> and do you know who makes money? Walmart, man. Oh, you man. set the profitability standard. I agree with you if you don't like your own game, <laughs> but you set the rules, bruh. Okay, so who sold more books in the last seven billion years, right? It's like Jesus, John Lacar, and John Grisham, uh, and then a couple of other authors. Yeah, but uh, but what, what the fuck board game is going to, like, I, I I can't think of many legal courtroom-based board games. Role-playing though. game. Uh, again, that's not a... Oh, you're put, see, you're putting out two role-playing games at your tabletop company? Let me tell you from experience, buddy. <laughs> Not super profitable. Role-playing games about breaking the law, not being, you know, uh, sanctioned by the law. <laughs> first off, first yeah. off, I think that everyone would enjoy to reenact, say, The Firm. 
no. getting to take the role nope. of all parts nope. of the firm cast. Mm. Also, I think that Robert Lawrence Stein would write some qual. Hey, man, who's going to be the fucking lawn gnome? Maybe that's the bit. You don't know who's doing the deed. Who is in the fucking basement, man? Don't go down there, though. But I also think the Goosebumps series lends itself to just some nice board gaming mechanics. I like you went back to defending Goosebumps. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> is anyone here not going to defend Goosebumps? Because that's a separate question that I think we need to address I mean, immediately. Board game. Yeah, very cool. All right, Maddie, you're up. Um, all right, cool. See so yeah, My third pick is going to be J.K. Rowling. Uh, and I reckon she could make a pretty good uh, fantasy war game. Uh, yeah, Quidditch. E- everything in Harry Potter like, ends up right. in war. Yeah. Um, just yep. a goblet of fire, pretty Quidditch, much. Yeah. yeah, like uh, I, I reckon you know, give her some minis, give her some vague rules. She's gonna somehow make that marketable. It starts as like a school sim and ends with like, well, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, Hufflepuff is no more. Yeah, <laughs> I had to feed them into the front line to support my flanking maneuver. <laughs> but everyone's gonna be in. <laughs> uh, Caleb, uh, I am going to go with. I uh, uh, this is a this is a dark horse. <laughs> Haruka Murakami, Jesus, for creative intelligence games. Look, if you've read a Murakami novel, he's got images. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> like, not really big on characters making sense or plot reality. But if you want like some Dixit level Mysterium cards full of like. Cats and jazz and weird dudes on unicycles and wells and, like, just bizarre abstract nonsense. And someone who's going to be like, oh, well, obviously these go together. Uh, Murakami's going to make you some weird-ass creative intelligence games. Yeah, I actually think that one's pretty good. Um, I also went with the creative intelligence, and now I'm kind of wondering if it wasn't a, a bad genre I've picked for Kurt Vonnegut. Um, part of me thinks if you wanted to make Arkham Horror fun, you'd have Kurt Vonnegut write it, um, because uh, <laughs> because at least then, like some of the randomness and seemingly unrelated buffoonery that occurs in the 19 hours you sit at that table trying to figure out what token to turn over, <laughs> at least it would purposefully have no existential reason. It would just be because the universe is fucked, um, and I would really enjoy that game. But I also think so, like. One of so, my, so you want to make the fatalistic humor subtext of Lovecraft text. Yes, that's exactly right. I <laughs> want right. that to be the purpose of All the right, game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. But I also think, you know, if you if you read through Breakfast of Champions, it pretty much is an exercise in creative intelligence. Like, how can I tell a story? And then also, what do you think this image is? And so it's like your own game of Mysterium. And this is your big seller at the Walmart of games. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Next yeah, yeah, yeah. to... I want to be clear. R.L. Stein mm-hmm. and John Grisham. Yeah. The you, thing- have, you have placed right. Kurt motherfucking Vonnegut. Yeah, that's right. It's a Barnes & Noble-esque uh, approach to... <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. I took the greatest author in the history of books, uh, and I put him next to two absolute tools. <laughs> Having said that, those tools have sold infinitely more, and again, I, I cannot say this enough, the metric is profitability, than Kurt Vonnegut will ever think about selling. Which, him and his you know, Ghost Riders. Huh? Him and his Ghost Riders. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the Goosebumps machine is coming for all of us. Um, honorable mentions, Maddie. Uh, yeah, mine's just R.L. Stein. Right. He didn't write half his stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Caleb? A lot of IP problems there. Um, Edgar Allan Poe? Motherfucker, look at my honorable mention. Oh, did I beat you to it? God uh, damn it, Caleb. Yeah. He'd be there a day and they'd be like, he has got to go. He's drunk. <laughs> depressed. He's <laughs> depressed. He's cousin marrying. Not not great in H.G. Uh, Wells' future uh, board game company. And, and, this is probably perhaps more 
kicked out of the military academy, not just for gambling, but for cheating at gambling. He's going to be the motherfucker that cheats during a play test. He's going to fuck up all your probability tables. Nobody wants Poe there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, can I give you an alternate? Well, so I, was, I, had, a, I had an alternate in place, okay. but, but you try yours first. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, because obviously... <laughs> it just seems so obvious. An HR nightmare. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, PR nightmare, HR nightmare. Also, uh, famously hates games. Uh, like in his letters, he just hated all kinds of games from sports to chess. The motherfucker is just that scans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, so my uh, my original alternate here. So imagine this writer's room. It's Vonnegut, Grisham, and then Robert Lawrence Stein, or people composed of R.L. Stein, <laughs> the Stein Collective. Right, that's right. And motherfucking Ernest Hemingway walks in, having yes. been promised all of the bourbon. He has a drink, hears Stein say a word, and immediately threatens to murder him, at which point H.G. Wells, for the purposes of maintaining a profitable company, has to fire Hemingway and hope that Hemingway doesn't instead murder him. So Hemingway would probably be my honorable mention. He would retroactively make a decision to not work at that company immediately upon meeting R.L. Stein. Can you imagine a Hemingway board game, though? Right. <laughs> Flip a card. You lost. Punch the other man into the face. Yeah. He will do the same. It's a the first to fall right. loses. That's right. That's yeah. right. The cards are symbols of your bravery. It's just a micro game. Yeah. yeah. It's just an no, idle expense. That's, that's right. too much description. Punch the man. Right. He will punch you. Yeah. Can you imagine Candyland from Ernest Hemingway? Slide. Pink. And then it's just like winter. The dawn rises. Yeah. Uh-huh. Smoke. Uh-huh. Then die. Like that's it. You're like you. You're too. You're too. Uh, uh, too much purple. I mean, people. Right? People like those micro games. Yeah. They really do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. For, feel- so, for sale, two dice never used. <laughs> <laughs> um, feel free to vote for hashtag Team Caleb, hashtag Team Maddie, or your obvious winner, hashtag Team Spencer. Uh, and on that note, we've got one segment left. We'll be right back with Drunk Enough. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a Goodison Brewery from McLaren Vale uh, Coffee Stout. And again, uh, I, I like this brewery, but I've never tried this individual beer, so... She is drinking it. Another bottle. It is a coffee stout. I don't know what to say to fill the time. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. You're doing you really well. Haven't yeah. Ooh, that is really strong on the coffee. That is... You Australians like your coffee and your coffee stuff. Yeah. Stouts. I'm in for that. We, we, uh, we coffee the fuck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just going back for another. Australia coffee the fuck up. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, even for me, that's a bit too much coffee for a beer. That's Bottle. probably a three. Oh, wow. Mm, like, okay. it's great, but that is, that is coffee. I'm going to get up in there. And you like coffee, right? So I that's really a, that's like an actual coffee, yeah. right. Oh, we have really good coffee in Springfield. That's another weird thing about this city. Um, Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, we're going to talk about something that uh, producer Ross and Maddie propose, I believe. Yep. yep. Um, what price are you willing to pay to not have boring work? Yeah. Coffee, uh, right? Which I will let y'all explain. It's really good beer. <laughs> uh, well, I think, yeah, Maddie, it was more uh, your sort of career arc a little bit. Yeah, um, so the way I, like, you know, high school, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to be, so I asked my, uh, like, uh, year 12 math teacher, I'm like, what's a job that I could, and he's like, ah, just go into engineering, it's varied, Um, so I was like, Mm. all right, Mm -hmm. I could probably do that, I've got the scores for it, Uh, started an engineering degree, Uh, third year in was like, 
eh, not too keen on this, but it was a four-year degree, so I figured, let's finish this degree, because, you know, why not? Um, in my fourth year, I did a final year project for an actual company where I redesigned their laser targeting system for their laser surgery uh I lasers um, equipment. Super regular. Did you make the laser say pew pew? <laughs> no, no, I did not. Mm. That would have been. So you failed that. Project. I did. I definitely <laughs> failed and disgraced. Yeah. I left. Uh, no, um, but like I still wasn't really keen on the whole engineering career thing. But because I did my final year project with this company, they went well. Like they asked me to come up with a concept to improve their lasers, mm. and not only did I come up with the concept, I then proved the concept was correct, uh, made a prototype, uh, I re uh, refined the prototype, got it into production and had it selling worldwide within the year Wow! within their laser equipment. So hmm. they went, yeah, we're just going to offer you a job as soon as you finished. And all my friends were trying to get jobs because they really wanted engineering yeah. jobs. And here I was with this job in my lap because of the work I had done. And I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do yet. But I was bored at this, studying, maybe mm -hmm. doing it is fun. And My coaster stuck in my beer and then it <laughs> fell on the floor. That's on me. Um, but yeah, so I, I worked there for two years um, and I was bored every single day. I woke up kind of like sighing at 21, 22, going like, I don't want to go to work today. It was horrible. Like, I was in the basement, like, playing with high-powered lasers, creating balls of plasma in the air, being bored. This is a supervillain thing. And, yeah, I was, like, fundamentally aware what I was doing was cool in some aspect, but I hated it. Um, so I, I, yeah, I eventually quit. I was just like, no, nah, I, can't, I can't do this. This is soul-destroying. Um, mm -hmm. I don't like this. This is taking up a lot of my time. It's paying well, but I can't keep this. No, it's not me. Um... And I had a year where I just didn't really work. I was like, well, we have great fucking benefits in Australia. Let's just be unemployed for a year and find myself. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Within that, I, I started like doing theater-related activities, like seeing theater more. And just during one show, I kind of like stopped and I looked around and went, hang on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are people like acting on stage, but there is a fuckload more things happening around here. What are these? Yeah, so I realized like there was a technical aspect of that. And... Uh, decided to look into it, and yeah, three years later, I now have a degree in technical theater production. Right. Um, and so Maddie sold out yep. to the mm -hmm. high-paying field mm -hmm. of technical theater. We, we, we yeah. all do it. Mm -hmm. Like I could literally join a circus at this point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I like I told my dad that I was doing this. He's like, Oh well, um, mm, at least you have a trade to fall back mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but no, like ever since, like, uh, I mean, I graduated last year, but I've been working for, in the theater, uh, industry for three years now. Uh, and like, I, it's, it's the gig economy. Like I have to talk to people. I have to organize work. I have to get work. Uh, it is a lot of networking mm -hmm. who, you know, um, you know, if you finish a show, you go to the bar, even though it's midnight and you're freaking tired. Cause that's where all the networking happens. Right. You hang out with people. Those people recommend you for a job. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there is a whole social aspect of this that isn't in the normal, uh, you know, nine to five. Right. Because, yeah, like, uh, you know, I have had a lot of gigs that I've gotten because my friends already had gigs booked for that week. They're mm -hmm. like, well, mm -hmm. all right. Because, you know, if you ask a guy, like, hey, do you want to do this job? They're like, yeah, I'm busy, but here's three people. 
either one of those will work. Yeah. And like a lot of the early work I got was from that. And from that, I got contacts. Now I have contacts. I just get a lot of work. Sure. Which is really cool. But it is uh, like I didn't have any work for the last month because it's winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last month before I came here, I had three shifts maybe in doing things. Yeah. So it is very sporadic, but also like, you know, we have festival seasons, uh, the Adelaide Fringe, second largest fringe in the world. I will work 80 hour weeks or something like that, like weekly for two months doing that. Um, so I'm guessing you, so it's less reliable, less predictable. I'm guessing that in theory you make less money, but for festival seasons. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But, oh, yeah. but in terms of fulfillment, your soul, all that stuff. I have never been happier. Yeah. Like uh, I wake up happy i go to work and i enjoy myself like i come home at the end of an 18 hour day and i will be exhausted but thrilled at the prospect of waking up in four hours and having to do it again like it is so much more fun um it's creative Mm -hmm. it's like i feel a part of the show uh last adelaide fringe one of my shows won the weekly cabaret award i'm Mm -hmm. like i know it was them you're a keyboard (laughs) singer but like i helped Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely. a reason they heard her sing and that was me uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's so much more rewarding and like I, I would never go back like I would if I yeah if I kept the engineering job I would have way more money I would be way more financially secure but I would probably kill myself yeah you know. yeah but you know it's weird to me about um the hard part for me as I read this question was like everything's a little bit boring to me over time and nothing you're describing sounds like you feel bored at work at any at any given point. Yeah. You're, right. Um, I feel bored doing almost anything after, after a period of time. I'm kind of a mover and a shaker. Like after I'm done with a thing, I need to move on and do something else because I get bored kind of easily because yeah. I'm a little bit restless. Um and so you're not you're you're describing not being bored. I do get bored at my current job occasionally. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it wasn't about when I transitioned roles, um, which which incurred some 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 changes in pay, um, uh, not in the right direction. Uh, when I transitioned roles, it wasn't about boredom as much as it was like ownership. And so I knew coming into the role that I'm in now and have been in for the better part of a year and a half that. Um, I would have a real tangible influence on the direction of the company. I mean, not 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 just because of my role title, but also because I was given the opportunity to say, and I'm going to let you own some of this stuff, and, in, and together we're going to make some decisions that influence the future of the company. And so for me... Well, I mean, stakes is part of boredom. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely a higher stake. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm much more willing to do more things... More line. Right. I find myself doing things that I don't know necessarily fit within my role, or maybe I'm not certainly not crazy about doing, that might fall into the category of bored, but I'm doing them because I recognize that they serve a greater purpose. And part of that purpose I help define. And so for yeah. me, it's like the, the level of ownership, not, not in a tangible sense, but in a spiritual sense or a, you know, a collective sense. Uh, that was the thing for me. And so what price was I willing to pay? Yeah. Pretty reasonable one. I mean, in terms of sacrifice to, to get that kind of fulfillment, yeah. um, to feel like I was being a part of something that was going somewhere big. And I got, I got a hand in shaping that. And so for me, it wasn't the, this is fun. I'm participating in this thing. It was, this is a chance to put a mark on a thing or something, or, or feel like I'm part of a thing. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, Caleb, um, I guess I'd like to hear Ross's take on this, actually. Producer Ross? Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of never really... I, I've been focused on freelance and stuff like that. Uh, I do know in a specific sense, um, not like in terms of careers, but like in terms of avoiding boring work, it, to look at the question from another, another perspective, is like 
if there is a task that I have to do, like say laying out a book or doing something podcast wise, I will spend like 10 hours to figure out a way to automate it so that I don't have to spend three hours <laughs> to manually add tags to something or do something. So I will, if it's a creative problem, that's more interesting. I would t- I would take twice the time, and uh, hopefully in a way that it's automated. And I don't have to do in the future. Right. Um, so we follow it, your Twitter. We yeah, know Ross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but in, in a career sense, yeah, like I would just God going. I mean, to you imagine. haven't had a lot of nine to fives. Yeah, yeah, you? yeah. No freelance OG yeah. since basically. Yeah. Way back I, I mean, I also tried academia too, and like yeah. uh, that was not also like I. I do not have the gift of teaching. I'm just like. I tell students I tried teaching and I was like, do the thing. And they're like, no. And like, well, <laughs> I don't give a shit. Like, um, <laughs> good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely don't be a teacher, Ross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, you're f- fucking do it. I just figured it out on my own. I didn't have anyone teach me. Like, fuck it. God, idiots. F. <laughs> like, no, it wasn't that bad. But like, it, Com- I, coming soon to a classroom. If a student you. wasn't passionate about it, I didn't, I wasn't passionate about it. So like, that's a terrible <laughs> oh, trait for a teacher. <laughs> You know, I could not feign enthusiasm. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically my whole life has been built around ab- avoiding boring work because mm. I don't, like, care that much about financial security, clearly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think what I love about my job is, like, literally everything I do, is like, this, the base concepts are the same, but what I'm doing, like, the band I am mixing, the show that I am spotlight, like, all this stuff is different week to week like yeah. uh, even if it's the same band they're playing different songs like you gotta mix that differently yeah for sure and like it's just such a variety that I'm yeah I'm always entertained mm-hmm. like it, it's fun one thing I've realized is I, I the just running a RPG podcast I don't think I will ever get tired of ro- running role playing games mm-hmm. Like I've been doing it for ten years now, and I still like love coming up with new ideas. And I, and like when I focus on a game, I'm just like I'm just in the zone, and that sounds pretentious, but like I really love it. And so I think I can do another fifty years of this easily. That's um, cool. Yeah. Um, I don't. I've, I'm sure I thought about this question in the terms of boredom when I was in high school, because you know, uh, you know, didn't want to be a suit and like uh, insert cliche here. But, like, every time I tried to do something that was, like, by definition, not boring. So, like, music or writing or something like that. I pretty much got rejected at every turn. Um, and then eventually I found teaching, which I've talked about before. And I'm not going to say that teaching is boring. I mean, there's a ton of creative problems you have to solve in a dizzying number of ways every single day. But at the same time, like, compared to some other things, yeah, it could be seen by boring by a lot of people, uh, Ross included, apparently. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, like, uh, ever since I decided to become a teacher, and this is like, I never changed my major, like, it it was way back in the day. Um, The thing that sort of defined me rather than boredom, because I knew I was still going to write, and I knew I was still going to do things that interested me in my spare time, was um, the ability to do those things. Like, I didn't need to define myself by the job necessarily. And there was a period in which I defined myself entirely by being a teacher, which did not end well for me. Um, And now I I still teach as a job, but, like, my problem with work, uh, especially during my year-plus of unemployment where I had 14 different jobs, is the idea of utility like, I need to feel useful. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing more interesting to me than, like, having my job have a reason for existing. And I know in the grand scheme of the that is, like, 
RPGs and art and writing and shit, like the idea that that's useful is sort of absurd. Mm. Like, oh, my immortal words. Counterintuitive. Rise above your quotidian existence with my prose. Like, uh, (laughs) I, I don't actually think that way, but like, I get immediate feedback as to that, like whether anyone got any enjoyment with it and it feels like there's a use utility to it. And like, I've taught. I can teach you eighty different ways not to write a sentence fragment at any age level, and um, I've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. But I don't find it boring if you want to get over that because right. I think it's definitively useful yeah. to like be able to get a job by not talking like a caveman on your resume. Yeah. Um, and I'm into that. But where I feel bored and like awful at my job is like when I do that for six years and the kid decides to enter an uh, exciting career in burglary or something. <laughs> It's just like, well, I might as well have not been here. And that, for me, is, like, crushingly boring. Like, that is where I feel just like, ugh, I can't do this. But, like, teaching is not typically um, a job for which you feel that way. Like, and I feel like I was intelligent enough to do any number of things that would have paid a lot more. Like, I could have done IT or computers. I could have done any number of business stuff. I feel like I'm capable of doing that. But, like, I know a lot of those people, and they just do fucking spreadsheets that someone with 10 hours of creative intelligence solving could make their job not exist. And they work for an oil company that'll be fine with or without them. And, like, it just feels useless. Like, that that is when I feel the worst uh, at a job, is when I don't feel like I have you. Like, when I was a baker, they didn't actually teach me how to bake. I mainly just, like, set out pre-made cookies... (laughs) or got people pre-made cakes or moved things from one place to the other or washed dishes. And like when there were machines that could do my job better than I could at every aspect of it, like I, I, in addition to the pay not being great and not allowing me to do other things, I just felt like, well, there's no reason for me to be here. Yeah. And that makes me bored, mm-hmm. like yeah. more than anything else. Whereas when I make an RPG, no one else can do that like I can. And it feels more useful. So that that's really my component now. I don't think of it in terms of boredom because, like, I certainly didn't know what the fuck I was doing when I was baking or working in a mental hospital or doing it. I was learning the jobs as I went, but I didn't feel like I was useful to anyone, which made it sort of soul-sucking. Hashtag any, any well, nomination. Like, what you say, like, being useful, uh, there is a lot of gigs I have taken or, like, uh, you know, when you're doing a two-month festival or something where you're running your own venue, you've got six shows a night, stuff like that. Uh, it is like you're useful to the point of if you get sick, still show up to work because right. no one else can do right. your job. Yeah, yeah. You're the only person doing this. Uh, if I have booked you for this day on this time, you show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get someone to replace you is almost impossible in most times yeah. because like a lot of times like you've done the rehearsals you've done the cues you know what the show is you know what's happening yeah so it's also that like there's a lot of responsibility in what i do in mm-hmm. that like i have done shows completely fucking sick where like i will take a nap for two hours before i do my next show or something like yeah. that if i can because i'm that wrecked but right. It feels like you're a valuable member of what's happening because, like, yeah, you cannot... It's got to be you. Yeah, it's got to be you. Like, 95% of the time, if it's not you, 
it, the show doesn't happen. The show will not must go on. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, you gotta be there. Like, yeah. you could be there. You can be, like, silently throwing up in the back if you want, but, like, still press that button to make the thing happen. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get stuck in that a little bit sometimes because there's not a question in my mind that there are other people who would be better at my job or, or that probably some software couldn't do my job a little bit better than me. Um, but there are also times where I feel like I gut check a thing and I look at something and I go, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. And um, that's the stuff that I think is the, the space in between the nuts and bolts stuff. I think that's where I feel purposeful sometimes. You know what I yeah. mean? That like had someone not said something there or had we just worried about checking off boxes then we wouldn't have gotten where we are. And so don't be a machine. And so that's kind of how I have to tell myself that I'm being purposeful sometimes. I, you know? I also yeah. think there's like, and this question has to go with like our imposter sy- syndrome. Like, oh, I don't gosh. think you can disconnect it from sure. that. No. You've sold me on a number of just blazingly stupid decisions that mm-hmm. I have made and mm-hmm. you've talked me into. And I've seen you talk other people into even stupider shit. Like you What's could, happening? You could, sell, you could sell ice to an Eskimo, man. So like the fact that like, I don't feel like, I feel like someone could automate this and you sell websites, right. I don't think that's very true. Yeah, maybe At the not. same time, I feel like a pretty shitty teacher, but I don't think I am a shitty teacher. I wouldn't right. do it anymore. Yeah, for sure. I look at other people, and I'm like, well, it's just that I like doing this well, and when it doesn't go well, it hurts. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I think that's a factor of it, too, especially when you bring like utility into the boredom mm-hmm. aspect of yeah. things. Is it working? Um, sometimes when you think you're not useful, you are, but you just can't see it yeah. due to, you know... The sort of imposter syndrome we also yeah the malaise of being a human yeah yeah um hey if you've been listening to this it means that you are potentially a backer of a certain level but even if you're not backing us on patreon you're just here for the fun thank you so much for your time we appreciate it for your interaction on facebook for anything that you can do for the mix six thank you thank you thank you in advance and for just being here um hey if you're not following us on twitter check us out at the mix six you can also find us on facebook we've got a page and a group if you go to the group you can find an address for a p.o box if you want to send us things caleb appears to be getting that address out of his wallet right now so that I can repeat it back to you. That way you don't have to go to Facebook because why would you go to Facebook in a digital era when Caleb has a slip of paper that he can just give me right now? You can send things to The Mixed Six, 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. Uh, We've got a couple board games that we're working on. Nick Hamonet, I swear to God, we're going to play Operation Red Veil. We've already got it set up. We've got the miniatures put together. We just have to do the damn thing. Uh, And James Burns, Thanks so much for sending us Sentinels of the Multiverse, the expansion. It is going to happen. And for all the great olive oil and wine you sent us terribly legally, thank you. We've enjoyed them. Uh, hey, don't forget to check us out at Gen Con. You can also find us on YouTube in case you wanted to see what our faces and or our animated bodies look like before you meet us in person. Once again, this has been the Mix 6 Podcast. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. We'll see you next time. 